0: Okay,
1: on. let me say this. We've only taken up two minutes or so okay. of of Mr. Weininger's argument. So what we'll do uh, although I may be tiring out the panel and the advocates, I'll just ask Mr. Weininger to start over again so that Ms. Lindsley can hear the full argument.
2: Of course, Your Honor. And let me know when you want me to commence.
1: Uh, You can commence now. Thank you. Uh, uh, Just starting out by saying that
2: of the three cases we have here today, Tamne is the most straightforward case, and for several reasons. One is we only have one claim in Tamne, and that is the secondary life claim under 2333-D. Uh, Number two is no one disputes that this is an ISIS attack in Istanbul, Turkey. Three is the causation, and this is where I know Judge Berzahn and I started conversing, but there's no issue as to to the causation. Defendants don't contest that we plausibly allege causation, because causation runs whether you're looking at a direct liability claim, which we don't have in this case, or an indirect secondary liability claim, which we do have in this case. The causation always runs from the act of international terrorism. In the direct liability – I'm sorry, sorry. Yes, Judge Kristen.
3: In this case, you heard the last argument, I'm sure. There's quite a discussion about what's the act of international terrorism. In this case, in, in your case, how do you define it, please?
2: The act of international terrorism, in this case, is the ISIS shooting at the Reina nightclub in Istanbul, Turkey, on January 1st, 2017. That is that is the act of international terrorism. Period. ISIS is the... Per, the right, period. That is the act of all international right. terrorism. Okay, all right. right. ISIS is the one who perpetrated this attack. And therefore, in our allegations and our complaint, when we say that uh, that the injuries were caused by the act of international terrorism, we plausibly establish that under any standard, whether it's fields or any other standard. It could even be but for causation. Because the ISIS attack caused the injuries to my clients. And there's no dispute about that. Um, As to another undisputed issue, which is whether this uh, attack was an act of international terrorism, the defendants appear to concede that point as well. They don't argue that this is not an act of international terrorism. But at least with respect to the first argument, and I can tell there is a lack of clarity here, which I will do my best to try to dispel, and that is this.
0: What what is the first argument? What do you mean by the first argument?
2: the first argument that just preceded mine in, in the Gonzalez case. Oh
0: I see. Okay.
2: Yes, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, the oral argument to be specific. Mm-hmm. Um, the substantial assistance this let me be clear. The substantial assistance does not need to run to the actual attack. The substantial assistance does not need to run to the individual operative ISIS operative that perpetrated the attack the substantial assistance must run to, under the specific words of the statute, the person who committed the act of terrorism. And the person, quote-unquote, statutory term, who committed the act of international terrorism is ISIS.
3: Okay, so and hold so, on, hold on, right sure. there. So we're, we're talking about 2333D2, right? Correct. Right. Okay, and the premise, this, the introduction says, in an action under subsection A, for injury arising from an act of international terrorism, and then it goes on from there. Does that change your answer?
2: No, because if if technically we could have brought a direct liability claim against ISIS. We're not going to do that because we'd have a mighty hard time recovering from ISIS. But what we can do is hold the secondary party responsible, and the secondary party is the Google, Facebook, and Twitters of the world, that substantially assist ISIS in carrying out their overall terrorist activities. Um, that that is something I want so, to make sure so, that we so, help. Uh,
0: uh, so there are two pieces. I mean, it's becoming clearer as we go through the argument. And I think you're being helpful in um, pinpointing. So then there are two still two um, you know, forks. A, they still let's assume you're right. I think you're a plausible argument. You still have to knowingly provide substantial assistance. Correct. Right, And two, we have the Halperstam, the, the odd incorporation of a, of a, of a case into um, the enacted statute. And what do we do with that uh, in terms of, for example, the language in Halperstam about the principal violation?
2: Sure. And I, I just am curious, and what exactly is your, your specific question with respect to that aspect of the statute?
0: I want to know whether um, ha- how you demonstrate here that they knowing that what what Google does have to have done is knowingly provide substantial assistance. Let's say it's to ISIS. Okay, I understand Sorry. your argument is that is to ISIS. Secondly, we have this Halperin problem, which does seem to, in some respect, get to a connection, uh, assuming that it's incorporated, even though it isn't actually there, um, that. Uh, some connection to something called a principal violation um, and or intend to the, the principal violation. So there's some mens rea uh, as Judge Kristen was saying earlier, there are three, There are two mens reas. One we can assume was met, this general awareness of their sure. role, but the second, what about the second one?
2: Sure. The second mens rea, and I want to be clear for the panel, the second mens rea that we're then referring to is the mens rea that's in the six-factor test that's in Halberstam that unfolds from the substantial assistance prong? So just the framework is there's three elements. The third element is not only providing substantial assistance. The next third prong unfolds into a six-factor test. Within one of those six factors, the fifth factor is a mens rea requirement. And we touched upon this in our brief. The defendants make the point that somehow there are two different mental states that are at play here. That's not true, as we said in our brief. There's, there is one mental state, and that mental state is you need to have a general awareness as a secondary actor, a general awareness of your role in the primary actor's overall conduct. However, if we take a look at LIND in second circle, I do want to modify a little bit what we said in our brief. The men's rea requirement, even though, it's, even though it's one standard, which is the general awareness standard, if by chance you do have evidence that the secondary actor evidenced intent to actually further the aims of the primary actor, that suffices, too. Great. Add that in there. So, in other words, it doesn't exclude evidence of intent, but what the, the mens rea and the six-factor test, what is sufficient to satisfy that standard is the general awareness problem. And I believe if you take it, look at the Lind opinion and footnote 10, that's exactly what the Second Circuit was saying, was that general awareness is enough to satisfy these men's rare requirements. So, have- so
3: the general awareness, if I could counsel, the, forgive me, the general awareness requirement is the awareness of, in the role and overall scheme. That's what you're
2: talking about. It,
3: that's that's the middle prong of Halberstam.
2: But to be more specific, it's the general awareness of the Second Director's role. In the, in, in, the, in the Yes, overall. and to be
3: more specific, right, and to be more specific still, I'm trying to call your attention, if I could, please, to the fact that 2333D, the entire thing, is premised on A, 2333A, which is any national of the United States injured in his or her person, property, or business, right? Okay. So we're talking about, this goes back to Judge Berzant, what we're struggling with in the Halberstam is this wife, you know, she was... Was she aiding and abetting her, her husband? How much did she know about the murder that was going to go on as a result of his um, string of burglaries? Right? right? And did she have to know more than – did she have to know about that burglary or that um, incident? Right. So um, loosely translated, that's what we're, that's the guidance we have. And we're trying to figure out what the, the extent of this mens rea and the connection ha- – does it have to be to the, um, the, the actual sh- you know, shooting – Murder that, that's alleged in each of these three cases, and so, so on my scorecard, it is terribly important that 2333d secondary liability that we're talking about is premised on a 2333a because this talks about the, the cause of action being uh, arising from injury to a person.
2: That's true. It, it does. Could and, you speak and to that? Absolutely, I, I, and this is this is our, our position, which is that if you're talking about the injury. Right, the injury has to come from the act of international terrorism. In this case, it is the shooting. That is the act of international terrorism. All right. Causation flows from there. Causation flows from there to the injuries to my clients. Here, there's no question that there's causation. However you want to define that, whether it's fields, a stricter standard, or a looser standard, there's no question the ISIS attack in Istanbul injured my clients. When it then comes to the substantial assistance problem, okay, the question then becomes, did Google, Facebook, and Twitter provide substantial assistance to ISIS? They don't need, and even according to Halberstam, the, the, the Google, Facebook, and Twitter do not need to actually provide assistance in a way that facilitates this actual attack. And the reason why I know that... Why not? Why not? Because if you look at the blueprint... As we've been mentioning, the blueprint for aiding and abetting liability in this context, not common aiding and abetting liability, not criminal aiding and abetting liability, which is what Google was talking about in the prior oral argument. In this context, the blueprint is undoubtedly Halperstam. And Halperstam itself said the wife did not need to know about the actual shooting that resulted in the decedent's death. It was very clear. Halperstam mentioned, in evaluating its own factors, that the, that the companion uh, knew that a long running burglary enterprise a 5 year long burglary campaign against private homes and an right. ongoing illicit enterprise so and Lin's, and Lin's, and so she, she was an and company. she
3: was a part of that ongoing illicit enterprise so this we again i don't want to take up too much of your time because we sure. covered this earlier but my view is you know she was the back end of that operation she was basically the money launderer and sure. do you want to maybe, maybe talk about how if you're going to the six factors, which is what I think you're doing, you're going to the substantiality of the, of the material support. Um, you're, you're distinguishing Google's conduct. Uh, sorry, the defendant's conduct here in, in, in what ways? Which factors do you look to?
2: You would, you would, I would look to, I mean, the only one that really does apply is Google and Facebook. I'll just call them defendants. The defendant's presence is obviously not there. But when it comes to the amount of assistance, which is critical, obviously, to substantial assistance, the defendants are providing a service, and we highlighted these figures in our brief, comparable to what, let's say, Congress appropriates for Radio Free Europe or Radio Free Asia. Radio Free Asia gets about $43.1 million. That was for fiscal year 2018. If you look at Radio Free Europe, I think it was somewhere hovering around $124 million. The defendants provide ISIS a comparable service, if not better service, for free. There would be no way for ISIS to reach out into Western Europe and recruit or reach out into the United States and recruit fighters or people that are sympathetic to them that may have the the desire to eventually commit terrorist acts. They could never do that without the defendant's services in this case. There is nothing in my mind that is more substantial to the rise in terrorism that we saw in the middle of the last decade then well, the evidence, the app-
0: which is kind of unusual here is that you're kind of amalgamating all the different social media groups and saying together they're doing this does that work in terms of the liability or do you have to break them down one by one?
2: Oh, no, we have to break them down pretty much one by one and we definitely have done that in our, in our first amendment complaint but in terms of their substantiality In terms of their substantiality, I mean, we also have to consider the fact that we cannot go through the the perhaps hundreds of thousands of posts that are on uh, each social media platform and put them in the amended complaint. We do, for the purposes, obviously, of space, we need to limit what we actually have in there to prime examples. But we allege with sufficient uh, plausibility, which is all we need to do under 12b-6 – to show that each one of the defendants is engaging in conduct that allows ISIS to recruit, radicalize, fundraise. All right, so now let's go to Section 230.
0: Now, I understand that wasn't decided by the district court. It was not. Is your right. argument that we shouldn't decide it? Well, well, we're, argument, but we're functionally yeah. going to decide that the general – I mean, we have three cases here. And, yeah, it's, and going mean, it, and it, it's going to be hard. you can going run, but you can't hide because um, – uh, we have Google and we're going to have to address it so of I course
2: think you have to address it of course um, and, and now that the cases are somewhat consolidated for purposes of argument uh, we definitely should um, there's two ways approaching in my mind the 2.30 issue which is actually approaching the, the, the nitty gritty of the actual conduct that is going on on these platforms or to go with a very clear cut statutory interpretation analysis and JASTA which is the statute that enacted 2333-D2, which is the premise of the liability in these two cases, says and uses language that you will find in no other civil statute in the United States Code, which is that it provides a basis for relief that, that is the broadest possible, quote-unquote, broadest possible under the Constitution, period. They were talking about, about, about um,
0: personal jurisdiction, weren't they?
2: No. And in fact, our position in our brief is that while they may have gone through an amendment process and adding that in there, the very fact that Congress took the personal jurisdiction language out only reinforces our position that Congress meant this statute to be enforced to the outer limits, which is the Constitution of the United States. And this case, though, that clearly says we must look at what Congress actually said. All
0: right. Well, let's that, suppose we didn't think that. I understand you say it's not an implied repeal. It's something else, but... Um, it's at least a tough argument because you have a very specific provision and you have this, you know, hortatory language, and that's about what you've got. So the question is, what if we didn't? What
2: if we thought 2:30 was still there? If we assume and that 2:30 does apply, if we assume that 2:30 does apply, we need to take a serious look at. I would say two of the the, the strongest sorts of conduct here that that would negate. 2.30 immunity, which is one, Google's sharing of advertisement revenue with ISIS. There are plausible allegations under 12b6 that that is going on. And I would also reference but, that... But, yes, that
0: may... Well, that, let's assume that gets at a 2.30, but then you're bumped back into the substantial assistance problem and demonstrating that that amount of money as opposed to... I mean, you're, you're in somewhat good ground arguing that all the connectivity is substantial assistance, but whatever amount of money they're giving to ISIS, is that substantial assistance?
2: I will tell you our position is exactly what we said in our briefs. That is a question for discovery. That's what the federal is a civil procedure for. When it comes to the actual amount of dollars that went from the revenue But but just as a wild guess, it's not going to be much money. We don't... We actually actually don't know that. I mean, it could be hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of dollars. We, we, We don't know, and that's what is for. I don't want to conjecture as to. All right. And what else? It, What's your second argument? My, my my second position, again, assuming 230 applies and going with that basis, is we need to, to take serious consideration of Judge Katzman's dissent in force, because what Judge Katzman is saying is absolutely true. What what these platforms are doing has nothing to do with publishing, and that's the touchstone. That's the phrase that we must have in mind when looking at 230. Is this a publishing function? and that's not so how, much well room,
0: how much room do we have to do that as a panel under Ninth Circuit law um, given um, several different cases which do seem to um, read 230 um, otherwise um, specifically um, let's see uh,
4: well Dialogue and
0: dried, dried off and also earlier cases too Which seemed to be, and I'm sorry for the telephone, but I
2: think hopefully somebody else will answer it. I I, I think when it comes down, at least to Dieroff, and more that case, the plaintiffs in that case were really trying to tag the the platform with the illegality of the communication that was going forward between the decedent and the person that was trying to sell him the drugs. What Judge Katzman is saying, and what I'm saying, is that we don't? I don't care about the content between ISIS and whoever they're trying to radicalize through the friendship recommendation functionality in the big in, in, that the defendants have. I care about the communication, the connection between the two,
3: the knitting that, together, the knitting together. The, exactly, you call it a mosaic knitting. or the collage. So if I look at a screenshot, there's a there's something that's third party content that's uploaded and it's a YouTube video, let's say, or a, it doesn't matter uh, for purposes of this hypothetical, if you would. A, 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 a video that is produced and uploaded by ISIS, let's say. Right? Right. And I understand your theory to be there's this other stuff that's uploaded with it. Some of that, some of which uh, being links, um, perhaps, perhaps additional. Mo- maybe they're trying to advertise a, a memoir of a terrorist, or I'm not sure what else you would advertise to go with it. Uh, um, you know, directions for how a, a, a bomb-making activities, or how, or fertilizer, or whatever it is the terrorist's Want knitted together. But I, but I, I think the point is to sort of cut to the chase that you're saying that, that it's not just publishing to, to, to take this, have an algorithm that knits together, um, um, and connects this content,
2: right? It's my, my contention is that it's not publishing at all. Because what, what, what they have on well, their platform. Well, part of it is
3: publishing. Council, you can't around, part of it is publishing. Part of it is the a video that's just uploaded, right? That is sort of classic third party content that is being um, uh, disseminated, if you will, published, to use the verb that we're
2: concerned about,
3: right? I don't think you're denying that, are you?
2: I'm saying it's, it's more, and that's the problem.
3: Right. I'm and saying... The, yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I, I apologize. I need mean to cut you off. Was that no, no, just, just no that's all right. Uh, it's, I'm sorry. I, you
3: said, said, I think it is that the more part, as I understand it, is the, the knitting together, yeah. the linking to other content... Um, that's the, the the other, the additional that's not just publishing, as I understand your argument.
2: Exactly. Our position is very akin to again what Judge Cashman said. What what, what the defense are doing is no different than if they'd actually put their own message there to the viewer that says, Hey, look at this guy. And no one would dispute that if the big if the defendants had a message that popped up to the viewer uh, okay, that said, but, Hey, but, look at but, this but guy. But we have this it's not just I'm
0: trial, trial. Yeah, we have a live, can you hear me okay? I hear you now, yes. Okay. We have roommates, Barnes, Kinsey, Carafano, and then Dryoff, off. Die raw, all of which seem to say that additional organizing, uh, um, material, um in adding the stars, asking questions, um unless it, it is, um Essentially the content is added is promoting the illegality, which is what um what roommates uh isn't um outside of two thirty and that may be questionable, but that's our case law. So the question is if you need to come within that standard, um do you, was was this content added part of the illegality?
2: It, it, again, I, I would say it's not necessarily dependent on, on the conduct. I'm not sorry, on the content. Again, I know where the operative term here we're talking about is the publishing. But the question is, and that we are trying to answer here, is is linking a viewer with another recommended viewer, is that publishing? It isn't. I would posit that it's not. But and under our case law, isn't
3: it? Counsel, what's help, right Right there, forgive me for interrupting, but under our talking. case law, isn't it? Isn't this a neutral tool under our case law to match one um, um, user to
2: another? I don't know how it necessarily could be neutral because the alg- algorithm is looking at the the content of what these people are posting and, and talking about.
3: But the same, al- I think, the argument is the same algorithm applies to you know Brooks Brothers. That says, uh, it says somebody who bought this suit also bought this pair of shoes. It's the same algorithm applied. This content happens to be you know, terrorist videos. I think that's the argument.
0: I mean, that's the argument. As opposed to in roommates where the questions being asked that had to be added were themselves, um, quote, illegal in the sense that they uh, asked for um, considerations that you weren't supposed to take into account. So they were adding to the
2: illegality. I think, if I may, I think the real critical distinction, now that I'm hearing Judge Berzon and Judge Kristen talking together, I think it's this. The the algorithm is based on content. Our problem is not necessarily the fact of what the algorithm is basing its information on. Our problem is what what the algorithm does with that information. It takes that information and then connects users. Yes, sir Chris
3: Okay, so if if the algorithm if you could go back to my example, which is silly, but it I just no. it no. might help illustrate. So if you have third party what I'm going to call third party content because it's a terrorist video, and there's an algorithm that matches that up with a book about how to build a bomb, or a book about, or, or, or information about where to go buy fertilizer or some compo- bomb component. That seems to me to add to illegal I- I- illegality in a way that Judge Burzon is describing, what makes it more illegal, more dangerous, but I I'm not really sure that's what you're alleging, or uh, that's what I'm grappling with.
2: Yeah, th- because there's, there's separate... Sorts of recommendation functionalities that are going on. There is the friendship recommendation functionality and then content recommendation functionality. When it comes to the friendship connection functionality, again, the algorithm is basing the connection it's recommending based upon content. But our allegations and our complaint are saying it's the connection, it's forging a connection between an ISIS member and someone else on. On on the defendants' platforms, that is where it goes right. beyond immunity. Right,
0: and so that's like, where that's exactly what happened. Apparently, this guy goes onto this um, uh, um, interactive service thing, and it uh, connects him up with somebody to buy
2: heroin from. I think Dairoff. It, it re- I think <laughs> Di- Rolf, it, it, There is a slight difference, and this may be where the court can go beyond Diroff, and that is, it appeared to me from the opinion in Diroff, that the plaintiffs were still trying to hold the social media platform accountable for the, the actual content, and again, assuming, our, the, I'm taking your hypothetical... But the content
0: was point. itself illegal. I, I, I'm going to sell you some some heroin. Right.
2: So, so that's the, con- again, that's the, the, the content of the actual messaging. What we're saying here is... It's not necessarily the content of what the ISIS member is going to say to the person that's being linked up with. It's the connection itself. That is the problem. That's what runs afoul of the ATA and JASTA, and that's, and that's also what allows it to fall outside of 230 immunity.
3: I think there's two connections. If you could take this, I think you allege one, connect, one, one, one way the algorithm works is to connect in the my silly fertilizer example to other content. Mm-hmm. And another, I think, is to say, hey, user, a specific user, a, a user who, 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 who liked that video and this video may be interested in these six other videos. Is that fair?
2: That, that, I, I think if I understand you correctly, yeah, I mean, the, we're still so that that, it, we're trying so to draw try so, so that
3: it offers, so that, that YouTube is then suggesting other videos to the person Correct. who, who and, watched the first video.
2: And and again, I don't want to come up with this concept and saying it was my own idea, but this is exactly what Judge Katzman was saying in force. It's almost as if the defendants are putting up their own message on the side of your screen when you're looking at content and saying, hey, look at this guy. Okay, now granted, that's not necessarily happening, but it's tantamount to that. And that's why that conduct falls outside of 230 immunity.
3: But you've got to have liability first. What's your strongest claim? What's your strongest theory? Our, For secondary liability.
2: liability. Yeah, we only have one. We only have one. What's the strongest um, theory? Can
3: you just walk me through your stronger theory? It's aiding and abetting. You're not alleging conspiracy, right? Just aiding and we're not,
2: abetting. Put it this way. Everything is gone except the secondary liability claim, and what I mean by that is the claim under 18 U.S.C. 2333 d That That is our claim. And, again, just to emphasize how I opened up. The and your claim
0: specifically is that they were knowingly providing substantial assistance to ISIS, which is an international, which conducted this act of international terrorism, Um, and in terms of the Haverstam factors as to what substantially knowingly substantially is um, that there is, uh, that the factors taken together um, are sufficient because you don't have to demonstrate a knowledge of the particular act um, because in particular that wasn't true in Haverstam.
2: It wasn't true in Amos. And also to add to that, it was not true in Lind either. And Lind, the Second Circuit specifically said that. And also the statutory text itself says that the aiding and abetting must go to the person who committed the act of terrorism. That's the statutory text itself.
1: Um, Uh, Judge Gould, for a moment here. I'm sorry. I I want to interject something on timing. Your seven. And a half minutes over your time of 20 minutes already. But I think the panel's been engaging you with uh, questions and you should continue arguing until the judges are satisfied. They've got answers. However, as a interim measure, uh, if you could wrap up your argument, what by the time you're about Ten minutes over your 20 minutes then I'll give 10 minutes to each of the of the appellees and and, uh, if you need more than that because of the questions the judges will can ask for more
2: sure Um, just one issue that came up in Gonzalez that uh, the panel's not asking me yet but I, I do want to address and that's the first amendment issue I want to be clear there is no first amendment issue here and I would reference the court to take a look at the Humanitarian Law Project opinion issued by the Supreme Court in 2012. And there, the court really did address issues that was more of in a direct liability context. Um, and to be even more specific, there was no civil claims there. It was the possibility of, a, of the possibility of a criminal prosecution, but it still dealt with the operative statute, which is uh, Section 2339B. And what the Supreme Court said there was when it comes to issues of terrorism, especially designated foreign terrorist organizations like ISIS, there is a compelling interest that the government is able to ensure that people do not provide, at least in that statute, material support. It's no different here. The First Amendment implications of 2333 D2 are the same implications that you would find that were addressed by the Supreme Court in humanitarian law projects. I'd reference the court there. Um, and with respect to, uh, again, assuming, let's take it outside of what Judge Burzon was saying on assuming 230 applies. Judge Burzon, you did make an interesting comment. You mentioned Halberstam and that it's not necessarily codified. But every court that has addressed 2333A or D, has re- I'm sorry, 2333D, must reference Halberstam. And I would note. I understand
0: that. All I was saying was this that the statute um, holds up to the conclusion that the connection has to be to the person who carried out the act of international terrorism and not to the crime itself. But when you get to Halberstam, you seem to be running back to the principal violation, which I gather is a particular act of international terrorism. So presumably Halberstam can override the language of the statute, um, but is an ex- exegesis of it um, and as such I, I mean I think when you get into the nitty gritty of Halberstam, the four fa- six factors, it isn't really um, it, it doesn't require knowledge of the particular cro- um, violation as opposed to as in Halberstam um, a, co- a set of um, activities that's or what I was saying in other words, so I, th- I, I don't think Halberstam Can change the
2: language of the statute, it can only elucidate it. And I was actually going more in the sense of the the argument that's being made about the codification of the statute and whether it actually overrides, whether JASTA overrides 230. I apologize. I I wasn't clear. But my point is that since we must reference Halperstam and Halperstam is in the same section of the statute that says the broadest possible basis for the Constitution alone, our position is is that that cannot possibly be preambulatory language? That is an enacted portion of the statute. And in fact, it falls below the typical formula that Congress, is, that Congress uses when it does enact a statute, which is be it enacted by the House of Representatives and the United States Senate. All that yes, language. But it doesn't
0: override, I mean, on that theory, it would override every procedural barrier, every other substantive rule that applies ordinarily, and so on. It doesn't do that. It only says I, I, that you,
2: you can seek relief. It doesn't say that we're changing all the rules. If You can seek relief, and again, I I would just emphasize the the uniqueness of this language. There is no other civil statute that says this. I've looked. I'm sure opposing counsel has looked, and maybe she's found one. I I certainly have not. (coughs) But but Congress meant something when it said that. And every court that has addressed that language either has either declined to address it and its uniqueness, or they've said that somehow we were arguing an implied repeal, which we are not. And let me be clear to the panel. We are not arguing implied repeal by any stretch of the means. Implied repeal is just complementary with typical statute uh, interpretation tools, one of them being, and this court has applied it several times, that the specific later enacted statute governs over the earlier general statute. And JASTA fits that criteria perfectly. It is the later enacted statute. It is the more specific statute. And in this particular issue, when it comes to uh, uh, interactive computer service providers, JASTA trumps 230 in this limited circumstance. Judge Gould, Judge did you have a question?
1: Yes. Uh, I have a comment. The, oh, you yeah. know, we've gone quite over I'm the sorry. top. No, but that that's all right. I asked you to do that. However, we're going to have to get to a conclusion someday and and therefore what I'm gonna suggest is unless Judge Brazan or Judge Kristen would like to ask additional questions now, we'll end your opening argument and I'm gonna give you uh three minutes of rebuttal in any event. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, hearing then we'll proceed to the uh The appellees, now there are three appellees, and although it was initially thought we'd give them about seven minutes each, I'm going to give each of the appellees, uh, 12 minutes to respond to sort of equalize time.
4: Thank you, Your Honor. um, Presiding Judge Gould, uh, Kristen Lindsley, uh, for all three defendants, and um, I will be speaking by agreement with counsel and to make life simpler for the panel on behalf of all three defendants. My client is Facebook, and counsel for Google and Twitter are on the phone. Mr. Willen remains on the phone uh, for Google, and Mr. Ari Holtzblatt is on the phone for Twitter. But Plan at least as
1: it stands now is for me to address the arguments on behalf of all three. Okay, that's fine. I'm. I'm I think I had your earlier plan in mind. So go ahead, okay. and you can use. You can use the full amount of time. Um, <laughs> let's let the clerk's office move that time up uh, 24 minutes.
4: Thank you, Your Honor. So the, the, the two remaining cases, uh, ATA take cases before the court today, TAMNA versus Twitter, which involved an um, uh, attack on a nightclub in Istanbul, and Claiborne versus Twitter, and I say Twitter at all for both cases, they're Twitter, Google, and Facebook in both cases. Claiborne involves the San Bernardino uh, shootings. And so those cases were decided by two different district judges. Tanda uh, was decided by Judge Chan. Claiborne versus Twitter was decided uh, by Magistrate Judge Beeler, and both of them ruled in favor of defendants and dismissed the cases with prejudice. And so both of those cases on appeal have been narrowed in a way that actually makes the court's decision somewhat simpler, although there are still a number of issues. First, the plaintiffs um, don't dispute that their claims fall within the substantive scope of Section 230 of the CDA. The only argument they have made in the brief is this JASTA argument. There was an implied repeal by JASTA. I will address that a bit later. That
0: that was not my understanding, and it's not what was argued now. My understanding is that, that's one of their arguments, but they also argue that substantively um, 230 doesn't apply um, to um, the, the sort of it's called the matchmaking function, or the referral function, and it also doesn't apply to the um, to the revenue sharing. Is that not true?
4: Yes, I'm happy to address that, um, Judge Burzon. and certainly uh, Mr. Weininger did argue that today, although the briefs did not make those arguments. So our position was in the reply brief that those arguments had been waived. The only argument that was made in response to defendants' alternative basis for affirmance, which was Section 230, was the JASTA, um, what I call implied repeal or abrogation argument, however you want to put it, statutory interpretation based on JASTA. But there's no argument in the uh, uh, in the reply brief that relates to those points Your Honor just mentioned. But I'm happy to address them, which I will do um, when I get to Section 230. I'm happy to address those points. And I do have some things I'd like to say in response. But our initial and b- baseline position has, has been that they've raised the point They weren't weren't mentioned in a lot. But um, let me turn to the merits. On the merits, the plaintiffs have narrowed their case, as was conceded a moment ago, to a single count for aiding and abetting in each case under the uh, civil remedies provision.
0: I I would suggest that we um, concentrate on the facts of Tammany rather than Claiborne. Claiborne has all kinds of other problems about um, the the fact that the connection to to ISIS is a lot
4: bigger. Yes. So what, I think that's an excellent idea, and I, I will do that. Um, and I, what I was going to say is I was planning to begin, um, just based on what has been said, to present argument on why, as we read the statute, the defendant must have substantially assisted the act of international terrorism. And that's going to include a discussion of what is the act of international terrorism in this context, on these facts, and on these allegations. And then I was going
0: to turn I, to why. I, I I, no, that's really not what I was saying, and I do think you need to address this. Um, I was saying that as I read the, the statute, statute, uh, putting the Halberstam you know, uh, gloss on top of it, um, is that the connection has to be to the person who committed. Such an act of international terrorism, which in this case is ISIS. No.
4: Correct. So let me let me address that, Your Honor. Is
0: that um, correct? Is that your understanding? No. That they have to no. substan- provide substantial assistance to to and the two is missing from the statute, which is yes. there too, to the person who committed such an act of international terrorism, not to the and and that's ISIS. Yeah.
4: Our position, Your Honor, is that the substantial assistance needs to be provided to the person who committed the, the um, act of international terrorism in connection in some manner with the act of inter- international terrorism itself. Our position My is to read the statute as a whole, beginning with Section 2333A, and also the finding on Halberstam, which I'll get to in a moment, But just reading the text of the statute by itself, if you read A, it keys off of necessarily an act of international terrorism. So the plaintiff. Are you
0: you arguing that that by reason of language applies to D two?
4: Correct, because D two incorporates A. It says for a. It says um, for an act that for an injury that a plaintiff that's bringing a claim under A, liability may be asserted as against uh, a person who. Um, in, the, in, in connection with um, an act of international terrorism that was committed, planned, or authorized by a designated foreign terrorist.
0: But, but here, I mean, in Tamney, certainly, he was in, this, the person was injured by reason of an act of international terrorism, right?
4: Yes. So we're not contesting that the, per- the people were injured by an act of international terrorism. That, and, and plaintiffs have alleged that the act of international terrorism in this case is, in fact, the, the um, nightclub attack in Istanbul. They've alleged that repeatedly in their complaint, that the, that the Istanbul attack was the act of international terrorism. If you look at uh, ER-169, um, it was an act of international terrorism caused by I-169-70. to 70. It's one of the many places in the complaint that they allege that. So the question is, does the assistance have to be to the act of international terrorism? Our position is that given the the entire structure of Section 2333 as amended by D, it keys off the act of international terrorism that causes the plaintiff's injury. The injury has to be um, in an action under Subsection A, a for an injury arising from an act of international terrorism committed, planned, or authorized by a designated terrorist organization. In this case, plaintiff alleged that is the Istanbul attack. Liability may be asserted as that any person who aids and abets by knowingly providing substantial assistance to the person who committed such an act of international terrorism. So the, court, the statute refers, and the language is imprecise, to the person who committed it, but, it cert- but by incorporating Halberstam, it certainly does not say that the, that the assistance to the person who committed the act of international terrorism is is dissociated entirely from the act itself. The, the fact that Congress uses the word the person who committed such an act is clearly referencing that the assistance has to be in some way, shape, or form in connection with the act. Then Congress says, um, in finding number number five, that that the court is to look to Halberstam versus Wells, recognized as the leading case for civil casading and abetting and conspiracy liability, as providing the proper legal framework for how such liability should function in the context of the statute. So then you look at, well, what's the proper legal framework that is set out in Halberstam? The test that's set out in Halberstam which is a widely applied test for aiding and abetting generally, both before and after Halberstam, is that the defense knowingly and substantially assists the principal violation, in addition to the other elements that we discussed. And that test, the court but, but, made clear... But then, so,
0: assuming that much, how, it's clear in Halberstam that the person, the aider and abetter did not know about, the or, or didn't have to know about the particular... Violation and uh, even the particular burglary, which was the routine thing, or about the murder, which apparently hadn't happened before, but she was still responsible for both under the standards that were set out for aiding and abetting in Halberston.
4: Right. A couple of things on that, Your Honor. First of all, um, the, the, the defendant in that case, Hamilton, um the specific findings had been made done by the district court, and the D.C. Circuit expressly de- declined to disturb the findings. That
0: I'm she having trouble hearing you. i
4: That sorry. she was Excuse me. I'm
0: having the... trouble hearing you. I'm having trouble hearing you. Oh.
4: Okay.
0: I think maybe you have to speak a little more slowly or a little more into the mic.
4: Um. Right I'm sorry. Is that better? Oh, no, I
1: yes. can. I can hear. No,
4: hear. I'll try to speak more slowly as well. Okay. The district court in that case specifically found, and and the D.C. Circuit did not disturb these findings, that Hamilton was fully aware that she was assisting with some type of personal property crime at night. The court also, by the way, went out of its way to show that at common law, if you're committing a burglary and you are doing so under a common design and a common purpose, if someone gets murdered or some other wrongful act happens in the process, this is common for conspiracy liability especially, um, that comes within the contemplation of the conspiracy or perhaps in an aiding and abetting a plan by agreement. So in that case, the focus was on the burglary, not the murder, not that she would have had to know about the murder. She would have had to know that he was committing a burglary. And the court, the district court, that, she, that it just wasn't plausible for her to claim that she did not know what he was doing every night when he went out. After the fact, was, she was an accessory after the fact to everything he was doing. As Judge Chris has pointed out, she was laundering the, the stolen goods, doing transactions in her own name to do that. Night after night he was bringing more goods in and she was laundering them. She was filing false tax returns uh, that didn't reflect that that um, didn't reflect um, the nature of the crimes, and the court found that to be substantial assistance as well. In short, she was substantially assisting a person that she had a close relationship with, with a common design, a shared goal of amassing personal wealth. So, what what I think I would how I would view Halberstam is that the Congress called out this is the proper legal standard. The legal standard is the three elements of the court identified: the principal wrong, um, the awareness of knowledge of a general, uh, or a general that your your assistance is is assisting a general course of wrongdoing, and then the the um, knowing and substantial assistance in the primary wrong. Here, the court appeared to view the primary wrong as the series of burglaries that were occurring. Um, but the fact is, as Congress said, this proper legal framework, it needs to be applied to the facts of each case. And the facts here are nothing like those in Down. Whatever the court caused the court to come out the way it did there, in that case there was a close and intimate partnership between two wrongdoers working toward a common goal of amassing wealth through theft, laundering of stolen goods, and concealment. And the court just uh, concluded that that was sufficient to meet the test, and affirmed the district court's conclusion on both that and on the conspiracy, where the court found there had been a tacit agreement to commit these acts together. So I, I, I the, the, the operative test, though, is still that set out in Halberstam, the combination of the test plus the six-factor test by which you can judge whether or not there was a distance. Right. and so you were
3: here, you were here, yes. go ahead, Judge Berzahn. No, 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 no. I just want to say, counsel, what would be helpful to me, and I, I appreciate you running through that, but what would be helpful, you heard him, uh, opposing counsel, respond when I said, so take your best shot. What is your best shot for secondary liability? And you h- heard him explain um, how he thinks the defendants uh, did aid and abet, right? And so if you could, ex- could, could I hear your response to that? Uh, yeah. you know, he's He's saying is if it weren't for this global communication platform, ISIS wouldn't be what ISIS is and that that Google was aware generally of its role in ISIS's scheme. Could you respond? Yes.
4: Yes. Um, Let me uh, respond in two ways, Your Honor, if I could, because there's two conceptions of what would need to be aided and abetted. Um, Our initial position is and has been that that the, the substantial assistance needs to be to the act of international terrorism that injured the plaintiffs, both under the statute and under the Loss that Congress put on
0: it in Halberstadt. No like, as, as I understand it, I think the two collapse into one um, in, this, in the following way. Looking at Um if let's suppose that Google knew that that ISIS was, you know, conducting these act, lots of acts of international terrorism um, one after another, um, which is sort of in the complaint. And that they were doing so by using the platform, and that um, of, of um, I'm using Google, but whatever the media company is, um, in a way that we have to get to truth theory issue, but in the way that otherwise is actionable. Um, and that, uh, let's assume for the moment, because in some ways this is the hardest part, that it was substantial, it really, you know, was a, a really necessary part of... Conducting their activities, so so now they've done international act of terrorism A, B, and C, and now they're going to do D, which is uh, the one that's at issue here uh, in Turkey. Um, uh, as per <coughs> Stan Halberstam, um, that can sufficiently showing knowingly providing substantial assistance to the person who committed an act with regard to the principal violation. Uh, even though there's not a specific prior knowledge of the particular act. Is that wrong?
4: Yeah. Um, Your Honor, we, we do not believe that that is what the plaintiffs have alleged. They've repeatedly alleged in the complaint that the act of international terrorism that they are complaining about was the underlying terrorist act that injured them. They have well, that's not
0: that's right. The question is whether they had to know about that act, or they had to know that there was a whole program to do these acts, um, uh, which was supported by their platform. Uh, and this was one of
4: them. Okay, well, let me speak to that, Your Honor. We, we, we our, our position is that even if you disagree uh, that Section Two Three 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 D must be read by reference to the underlying act of international terrorism that injured the plaintiffs, there's still not substantial assistance to ISIS even at a general level. So let's let's start there, and posit that the substantial assistance um, that um, that the plaintiffs are talking about for purposes of Halberstam be to uh, the principal violation consisting of using the facts of Halberstam, a series of terrorist acts of which this latest one would just be the last in the series. So the, the, the difficulty there is that plaintiffs still have to show substantial assistance in that activity by reference to the six factors called out in Halberstam. So let me just walk through those, but the fundamental the fundamental problem with that thesis is that there is no, The plaintiffs do not and cannot allege that there was any design by the plaintiffs to further terrorist ends. That what defendants are accused of doing over and over again in the
0: complaint. But the statute says knowingly and substantial. it doesn't say intent or, or motive.
4: But what I, what I was going to get to in walking through the factors is that there needs to be some purposefulness vis-a-vis the underlying wrong, even if you view it as a series of wrongs. And here what the plaintiffs have alleged is that the defendants all prohibit terrorist content on their site. That they take down content when they see it, when it's when they're alerted to it, and that they have done so on multiple occasions. And throughout the complaint and we've documented this in our briefs and I have to okay, where are
0: you <laughs> getting the constitutionality provision from? Is it in it's not in the statute. Is it in Habersham?
4: I'm sorry. Where are you
0: getting the purpose or intent? Well, it's certainly
4: certainly in Halberstam, and there's there's two factors. There's three places where intentionality occurs. One is knowingly and substantially assisting the the principal violation.
0: It's not an intent. But,
4: But... but but the problem is if all you're doing in the in the banking cases really show this if all the defendant is doing is providing routine services and not singling out some person for not, for um, not to receive that service for example routine banking services have repeatedly held and we've cited these cases um, uh, in the in the briefing that that if the if the service is a routine service that, and the only allegation is you're providing it to um, an organization that might be a terrorist, or in some cases it's provided, knowing that it might find its way to a terrorist organization, that's not enough. If your only allegation is that the defendant has not cut off services to that, that's not knowing and substantial assistance to the wrongful act. Let me just walk through the factors. Um, we have nature of the act involved, amount and kind of... Can I ask a question? Are you going to address 230
0: at all here? don't want to do that.
4: No, no, I'm happy to address it. I was just trying to address the aiding okay. and abetting first. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to get to 230, yes. Right. go ahead. But um, the, the, the Halberstam factors, the first and second, looked at the defendant's encouragement of the wrongful act and required that the defendant have played a, quote, major role in prompting the tort or have been integral to the court. Nothing in the complaint alleges that the defendants here played a major or integral role in prompting or carrying out any terrorist attacks committed or inspired by ISIS, much less the ones that are currently before the court, or took steps to encourage such acts. The plaintiffs devote hundreds of hundreds of paragraphs to documenting the rise of ISIS since its origins in the late 80s. They assert that ISIS supported, supported...
0: Where is Where is this major role language that you're talking about?
4: It's in it's it's in the in Halberstadt. Let me grab
0: that. Be sure aware of his role as part of an overall illegal or tortious activity, but I don't see major.
4: I believe it's in the discussion of the facts of Halberstadt. Find that.
0: I don't think it's there.
4: Why don't we go on? Yeah, I may have misspoke in putting quotes around that, Your Honor. Um, so I apologize for that. But the 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 um, the the um, so the first and second factors look at the defendant's role in the alleged tort. And here, uh, although plaintiffs uh, cite paragraphs documenting the rise of ISIS and allege that. ISIS used social media sites to build its power base and recruit and uh, conduct other activities. Nothing in these allegations suggests that defendants took any affirmative action to actively assist or encourage ISIS in carrying out terrorist acts. Again, they allege that defendants should police their anti-terrorism policies more effectively. But that is not aiding and abetting, and that is not substantial assistance under a long line of cases where courts have addressed uh, the neutral application of policies such as uh, routine banking activities. And, and, th- and in this case, what you have is defendants taking steps to take down terrorist content, as plaintiffs repeatedly admit, and to take down terrorist accounts. So you don't have the defendants acting in any purposeful way to assist in the terrorist acts. The third, fourth, and sixth factors, whether all
0: the right, all right. So Wait a minute. So we're dealing with... We have the... Fi- the, 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 the Calparstand factors, right? Um, the nature of the act encouraged, the amount of kind of assistance given, the dependent absence of presence, relationship to the tort actor, and the dependent state of mind. So the dependent state of mind is one of five factors. It is not um, the, a necessary factor, assuming the state of mind is, is their intent. And then they have the sixth factor, which is duration. So I don't see where you're getting this intent from. Where are you getting it from? Certainly The purpose or the intent or the motive. Well, I mean, it, it, the best you can do is have it be one of six factors, maybe.
4: But it's an important factor because otherwise, it but it's not a necessary factor. It's not
0: an essential factor. It's one of six factors.
4: Your Honor, um, I think that the, both the banking cases and uh, the cases dealing with that factor uh, would support the proposition that if defendants are actively taking steps to take down terrorist content, as plaintiffs admit. It can't be said that the defendants are substantially assisting a course of terrorist activity, a series of terrorist acts. There's not a single allegation in the complaint that alleges that. Um, the fifth factor in Halberstam talks about this, that the intent factor. We're defendants one in spirit with ISIS because that's what the, the Halberstam at page 484 talks about, whether. The, the defendant in that case was one in spirit with the, with Welsh, who was out committing the wrongdoing. She was actively involved in helping him wander the stolen goods and conceal yeah, the, the wrongdoing.
0: Evident, the language in Happerstam is first, evidence as to the state of mind of the defendant may also be relevant to evaluating liability. In what another case they had shearing of the battery and, um, so on. Right. so it's it's not an essential factor
4: the, 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 it, it's an essential factor in the sense of knowing and substantial assistance it has meaning beyond stuff it, it has a meaning that that is directed to the underlying wrong there has to be some culpable intent going to a knowing assistance well, the underlying I really
0: app. Think today, but I need to find it and I don't see it. It's not in the statute, and it's not in Halberstam, so where is it? Well, that,
4: there's, again, there's two elements. The knowing element that is in the statute and that is in Halberstam knowingly assists the principal wrong. There's also substantially assists the principal wrong. Both of those things have to happen, and even if you view knowingly assist as relating to ISIS, there is, you need to knowingly assist ISIS, and there's no allegation that the defendants have done that in any way that is, is consistent with an intent or a knowledge of helping ISIS with particular acts of international terrorism. There still has to be an act of international terrorism that's at issue that, that, that the defendants are knowingly assisting in some fashion. So, And the fifth factor in substantial assistance does take into account knowledge it, there, because it's important that the defendant not simply assist in some general way, but have knowledge what they're doing is furthering an act of international terrorism.
3: That it, seems to me, it seems to me the strongest argument is one I'm, I'm not sure you're making, but I, maybe you are, but there's these three steps and uh, in Halberstam, and the middle one is that Google must have been the defendant. Uh, must have been generally aware of its role in the overall scheme. The third, the third prong of Halberstam has to be something different or more. They don't collapse yeah. into each other. Right. Exactly. And I, Let and me
4: explain and that, because I do have, I do have. We did look into that because it was. I found it a little bit perplexing that you had those two different ways of stating intent. And what I learned is, if you look at Halberstam, Halberstam cites a few cases uh, to explain that element. Um, and what I what I found in going back and looking at the cases that were cited in cite Halberstam, we make this point in a footnote in our briefs. Um, Investors Research versus SEC, a, case, um, a DC Circuit case of Woodward was a Fifth Circuit case, both cited in Halberstam, explained how that element came into the test. What happened is you had securities cases where um, the original test had been knowing and substantial assistance of the underlying wrong, um, in, including in a criminal context and uh, in some cases um, a third party like a lawyer may have helped the defendant commit something that turned out to be securities fraud by drafting the prospectus or doing whatever but that lawyer may not have known that what was going on was illegal he may, that person may not have known that the state would be called, uh, that, that the lawyer was drafting so the court grafted on this additional element to make it an additional intent element. But even if you knowingly and substantially assist the act that turns out to be the wrong, you also have to be generally aware that your assistance is furthering the course of an activity. So that's what investors' research and in board would explain. And those are cited in Halbertsam for that element. So that, to me, was helpful to know, like, why do they have these two different ways of expressing intent? Uh, one of which seems volatile. Uh So that, so I hope that answers your question. Getting back to the, um, and have I answered Judge Burzon's question? I want to make sure I have. Um, before I go back to, I was going to go back to the factors, but I can also just well, turn I, well, to I one. mean, I,
0: I understand that you answered it. I still don't see where the uh, intent requirement is, but why don't we go to 2.30, because your time sure. is actually over. Um,
4: Let me first address the argument that plaintiffs do talk about in their brief, which is implied repeal. There's, um, first of all, the, the, the court has made clear in the epic decision and other decisions, the Supreme Court that is, that there, if, your, if, your argue, if your argument is that a later federal statute abrogated or changed or otherwise took out of commission an earlier federal statute. The only available theory is implied repeal. There is no alternative theory for arguing the effect of a later federal statute on an earlier one, except for obviously amendment, which isn't what we're talking about here. So um, that's the Epic decision and other decisions um, like Branch versus Smith. Um, but what, what plaintiffs have tried to argue is that well we're not really arguing implied repeal, we're just arguing um, traditional principles of um, statute construction and they cite a case called Acosta and uh, Juvenile Mail but in both of those cases um, the court is is, um, is citing uh, Supreme Court precedent on a implied repeal. Um, in fact the that they cite, um, Smith versus Robinson, I believe was a, ju- a Justice Brennan opinion, um, is, is where, uh, um, where the, the question was, if you find, implied appeal requires there to be a conflict. The subsequent statute can't be reconciled to the earlier statute. Once you find that the two statutes can't be reconciled, then you proceed to decide what rule of construction to apply. And only then do you say that you're going to apply the narrower and or later uh, enactment. That's the rule that plaintiffs say they're arguing, but that is an implied repeal concept. It only comes into play once you've gone through the critical steps about implied repeal. Which there's an irreconcilable conflict, and um, that that was clearly what Congress have happened. In other words, Congress meant for the later statute to open, uh, um, Abrogate the earlier one. So and in both of those cases juvenile male and Acosta that was in fact the case The court had found that Congress meant to do that and there was a direct conflict So we're into implied repeal and here. There is no irreconcilable conflict because, um, As I think has been noted a JASTA doesn't say anything about section 230 It doesn't say anything about internet service uh, um, interactive computer services doesn't say anything about online content. It, it, and what it does is it's it, um, creating a different form of liability. It, it's creating aiding and abetting liability that wasn't available before. Section 230 provides an immunity or a defense. And it, it's, as, as the court in the Second Circuit explained in force, it's just a normal operation of a liability provision and a defense in the form of an immunity. So there's there's no intent to repeal and there's no conflict between the two. So you don't need to reach the subsequent question that the plaintiffs have raised. So that's implied repeal. Um, and then I'll just turn quickly to the merits. I think um, Mr. Willen covered most of the points, but I did want to make a couple of additional points. One of which has to do with whether um, whether the arranging of the, the recommending of content sort of. Taking on Judge Katzman's dissent as a starting point, I think is probably the easiest way to understand it. Is that somehow different from publishing? And we would submit three points on that. First, um, that the arranging of content and recommending of content in, by by arranging it is exactly what publishers have done um, for eons. And that is, for a good example, is you're going to you're going to uh, post certain news in the Western edition of the New York Times. That's the one we get. Um, you know, and that's going to be key, key more toward California and the West Coast news. So they're going to be prioritizing certain stories because they know those readers will be more interested in those stories than the yes, ones but by the New York there's no know.
0: doubt in that situation that New York Times is a content provider. It's providing the content. What you're trying to do here is to say that by doing that, you're not a content provider. And there's no doubt that the New York Times is a content provider, so that the problem doesn't arise. Um, here, um, you, you, there's a, the publisher provision, which is a very weirdly worded provision that just says it shouldn't be considered a publisher. Um, and then there's the provision that says um, that... Um, but if they're a, a, a content provider, that's different. So um, the question is whether... By doing what they're doing, they are now a content provider and not just a
4: publisher. Isn't that the question? Right. By selecting the stories that get shown, um, that that the even if they're third party stories, it is but, a but they're, they're, It's yeah, like
0: they're selecting them for the person,
4: not having the person
0: select them. In other words, but like when they're they're simply a platform, the person goes and says, "I want to see X," and then they see X. But now they're saying, "Well, if you're seeing X." You, you should also look at why. So why isn't that context? Why isn't there a, 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 why isn't there a message there? I mean, go look at why.
4: Well, because it's no different. I guess I, I, that brings me to, to my second reason, Your Honor, and that is that um, I, I would still say that's a classic publisher function to say, you look at this, you might want to look at that, or even just having an automatic uh, matching of content, you looked at this content, and this content is also liked by people that like the first thing you looked at, so that routes that additional content to you. But, I, but even if you, one might say, well, gee, that's not publishing, uh, I would still say it's, it, it is absolutely Covered under circuit precedent, as your honor mentioned, you have uh, you have Diroff. You don't only have Diroff, roommates, roommates Incorporated, uh, carafano and you also had Basil, um, Kinsey. Caravano was sort of incarcerated
0: in Roommates, but Roommates, yeah.
4: Well, Roommates did recharacterize it certainly, but it recharacterized it in a way that makes it applicable here. Yes, it was matching people. Um which isn't exactly what Caravano did, but that's how roommates did describe it. The roommates itself talked about arranging and and prioritizing
1: the content, which is exactly uh, what we're okay. Council Judge Gold, I'm gonna apologize for interrupting your answer to Judge Brisson's last question, but I think we're almost eleven minutes past the twenty four minutes that was put on the clock. Although I asked them to put, I wanted them to put 36 minutes on the clock for you to to equalize things so you're really close to your your full time, but not over it. But if you could conclude your argument in the next five or six minutes, then I'm going to give the other rebuttal option of several minutes to... Mr. Weininger, but at some point we do have to conclude these arguments for everybody's sake and we will be able to ask for supplemental briefing if the court wants it or we'll be able to say that the party plaintiff or defendants can file a motion to file a supplemental brief. They They feel they need to, but for now, let's try to close this within five or six minutes.
4: Your Honor, yes. Um, one quick point about Diroff that was said. I think that the suggestion was Diroff was just a claim based on content. That actually wasn't true. In Diroff, the claim was for wrongful death for um, the plaintiff's uh, son who had died as a result of the heroin um, overdose. So uh, that was very analogous to this case, and I think. Difficult to get around uh, the holding thyrop which is um, which is fully really on all fours. And um, the the um, just other point I'd like to make is that going back to the unless the folks have other questions about CDA 230 um, as applied to here, I think we've covered quite a bit of that in both in the two arguments. Um, just going back to aiding and the vetting for a moment, I think my fundamental point is that. Scientists do not allege. If you read through their complaint carefully, they really don't allege that defendants played any actual role in uh, terrorist attacks. They they don't allege that. They allege that um, that ISIS was able to build up its power base to become stronger to become a global organization. Most of the allegations date from 2014 and earlier. Uh, they don't allege um, any uh, assistance by the defendants in any uh, any actual terrorist attacks. They, they they make some vague allegations with respect to these the, um, that defendants' uh, social media services were used, but they but plaintiffs never provide any substantiality Substantiation to the idea that any of the defendants' services were used in any fashion in connection with the commission of these attacks. And, and, and yet, and much less that the defendants themselves, as entities, somehow assisted, as opposed to ISIS using their tools without their knowledge until after the fact. Even that is not alleged. Not, none of those things is alleged. The only connection to the Services that is alleged in connection with these attacks, or even other specific attacks, is in Playborn, where the plaintiffs allege that the one of the wrongdoers, the perpetrators, Malik, uh, used Facebook to post her allegiance and that of her husband to um, to the ISIS leader. It's unclear when that was supposed to have occurred. The, the complaint said it might have happened before, it might have happened during, it might have happened after. But that's not enough. As Magistrate Judge Beeler held clearly, that is not substantial assistance in the actual condition of any terrorist attack, including the Stanford and the one. So that's, I think, where I'd like to close, and um, unless the court has questions on, on, on those points.
1: Did does Judge do Judge, Judge Chris... Hearing no yeah. requests for questions. Yeah. We'll permit uh Miss Lindsley to close with thanks. So I, we thank you. Now, let, let me just make a final comment. Uh, this case shall now be submitted. Uh, however, if the panel on discussion feels it needs supplemental briefing on any particular point, we'll file an order to seek such briefs and furthermore given the unusual circumstances of the argument today uh, i would also encourage any counsel for the what i misspoke it's not submitted we're going to permit rebuttal argument after that it will be submitted but once it is submitted uh the panel can call for supplemental briefs or the parties can file a motion for a leave to file one. So why don't we thank Ms. Lindsley again and we'll go back to Mr. Weininger. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, Mr. Weininger, to, uh, everyone was over their time today, I guess I'm A poor presiding judge compared to what I recall Chief Justice Rehnquist doing at the Supreme Court back in the olden days when he would stop the mid sentence. So we're not going to do that, but uh, we would like you, if you can, to handle your rebuttal argument in in the next five or six minutes.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Judge Bold. Um, I, I just want to emphasize that intent is nowhere in 2333 duty. Intent is nowhere in Halbert Uh It's just that requirement for men's ray is not there. The reason why, I want to make sure the panel will work around this issue, with two men's ray requirements. The reason why there's two men's ray requirements is an issue I think that Lynn in footnote 10 in the second circuit opinion really hammered home on, and it's important. Which is that the mens rea in the six-factor test deals with a situation where you may have more than simple or general awareness of the overall tortious or, or terrorist activities. But if you have more than that, that plays a role in factor five in Halberstam. And that's exactly what the second circuit said in footnote 10 of Lind. It's there so that you can use that as almost like an aggravating factor at sentencing. But it's not required. What is the bare minimum is that you have general awareness of the overall tortious conduct and terrorist activities. Um, Judge Kristen, I want to address a concern that, that you've raised, and I want to make sure I understand it property, properly, which is the interaction between 2333A and why it's mentioned in 2333D. Um, and that is this. The, if we were to assert a claim, and let's say we're the TAMNA plaintiffs strictly, Let's say we start a claim, and we could and recover against ISIS, we would file that claim under 2333 direct liability for the attack. But since we don't do that because we couldn't recover against ISIS, there's no way to get personal jurisdiction over them, we are permitted to file a claim under 2333-D for the quote-unquote person, in this case the defendant's, who provided substantial assistance to ISIS. And that's and that's where 2333-D comes in. Yes, yeah, so, so I understand
3: where JASTA comes okay. in, counsel. It's just that D incorporates and is, you know, the springboard for D is A. That's all.
2: Right, right. So in other words, all, all that section of 23D is saying, the section that mentions 2333-A, it's just saying this is the predicate action you need to have in order to have aiding and abetting liability. And we satisfy that predicate action because ISIS committed this attack, ISIS is the primary act.
3: In this case, it's less important, but the, but the point is we're trying to figure out what is the principal act? What are we talking about? And in the previous case, that sort of grew and expanded over the course of the argument. In your argument, you were clear from the beginning what the principal act is, and you said, I think I said period, is it just the, the shooting, the rain of shooting? And I don't mean just in any kind of minimizing way, but uh, but, but and you were very clear that's your principal act, so I get it.
2: Thank you. Um, yep. With respect to arguments that are made about who the, who the person is, it's important to recognize that in D, 2333 D1, Congress referenced the general term statute, 1 USC 1, as to what a person is. And a person can be an association, a society, and it can be a collection of individuals. And if you take a look at the statute that the Secretary of State must follow to designate a foreign terrorist organization, and that is Title 8, USC 1189, you must at least have a foreign organization to designate. And if you cross-reference what an organization is, the nearest comparable statute I could find was 18, USC 2386, Big A. And there it said that an organization is exactly the way person is defined in title one U.S. one, which is it could be an association, a society, a collection of individuals. And the reason why I I'm think, saying
3: that, I think we appreciate this, all of this, and it's in your briefing. The thing that, the, the reason I think several of us have been harping on trying, trying to get folks to focus on the elements of these statutes and then the and the factors and whatnot that we have to apply is, I'm not sure any of the lawyers necessarily appreciate that from our perspective, the briefing wandered a bit and conflated sometimes. And so that's why we're really looking very carefully at which are direct liability claims, which are secondary liability claims, and so forth. But I found your argument, and and all the arguments said, to be very helpful. It's just that's why we're trying to be more precise. Sure.
2: And that leads me to my next point, which is what opposing counsel mentioned, the language of by reason of. And I'm sure this is unintentional, but it's conflating several issues. By reason of is the the causality language in the statute in 2333A. So it has nothing to do with substantial assistance. By reason I think of, people are really clear on that. You're clear on that. Fine. Um, and the other thing I, I want to also hammer home on is when the defendants reference the measures they are taking to take these items off of the platforms, that's an issue for discovery. And I will just close by saying this is a case – this is 12b6. This is just issues of plausibility. We need plead nothing with particularity. This is not a Rule 9 case. Uh, and there are issues that are factual that can be resolved in discovery. And that's exactly where these cases should go. They should go on to discovery. <sighs> Unless there's any further questions,
1: I'll rest okay. my time. Thank you. We thank you for your excellent arguments and for concluding. Okay, we will conclude now. But let's judge Bersana or Judge Kristen to have a question. No. None, you done. Say the argument shall be concluded and this case is submitted but, but I want to add two comments the first is that as I said earlier the panel may if it wants to call for supplementation on briefing or any party may move for leave to file a supplemental brief which, which will probably not be very important unless it addresses one of the questions raised by a judge at council at argument today so therefore this case is submitted to the final comments just to thank uh, everyone for cooperating with our program here first I thank the IT staff and other court staff of the circuit for putting this together so we could uh, pull the arguments despite the restrictions on on our households and individuals and I thank the council for the same uh, it's very difficult to, to argue in these circumstances uh, without uh, as I recall from law practice having a troop of associates sitting at the table with me when I may made an argument who could hand a paper to me if I missed it. And all the counsel have done a great job today presenting their client's cases and the court appreciates it. This matter is uh, concluded and the court shall adjourn for the day.
2: Thank you, All rise. This court
0: for this session stands adjourned.